Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. So I want to get into our Vision Sunday message. It is Vision Sunday. It's that time of year that we get to talk about all the things that God has placed in our hearts for the year 2020, and I could not be more excited about it. I'm going to ask you to turn to two different openings in the Scripture. The first one is John chapter 10, verse 10, which Sean had no idea when he was quoting uh, during the offering time this morning. Uh, We didn't compare notes beforehand, which just goes to show you that the Holy Ghost is smarter than all of us. Amen? He knows everything, right? So I'm going to ask you to go to John 10, verse 10, and I'm also going to ask you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You can hold your finger in 2 Samuel 6. We're going to start in John 10, verse 10. And I've got many things to say to you this morning, and I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to help me. And I'm asking you to receive today. Let's just, on purpose, uh, plan on getting everything God has for us. What do you say? Amen. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is speaking, and he says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Glory to God. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Praise God. Listen, I don't think there's a verse in the Bible that offers a more clear distinction between what God wants for your life and what the devil wants for your life. I can't think of a verse in all of Scripture that shows a a, a greater distinction between God's will for your life and the devil's will for your life. How many of you know the devil has a plan for you? Amen. We talk, listen, we talk about God's plan, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord your God. L- listen, God's got amazing plans. The devil's got some, some pretty real plans for you as well. And his plans, Claire, you thought that was funny, didn't you? <laughs> Praise God. The devil's plans for you are not good plans. Go ahead and just settle that for the, you know, just settle that from now on, that the devil doesn't like you. Nothing good comes from the enemy. Amen. You know, it's sad that we have to clarify those things. But in today's day and age, it's hard to know sometimes. Is this God or is this the devil? Let me tell you, if it's bad, it ain't coming from God. If it's destructive, it's not coming from him. The Bible says here that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Why did Jesus come? To restore back to humanity the quality of life which God always intended for us to have. Amen. Why did he come? To restore back to humanity everything that Adam lost, that perfect quality of life in relationship with God in the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect. That's what God, that's what Jesus came to restore to us. Now, Sean mentioned this. The, uh, the amplified of this verse goes on to define this quality of life that Jesus is talking about when he says, I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. The word abundantly here in the Greek means super abundant in quantity or superior in quality by implication excessive. (laughs) 
That's a strong Greek word. I got that. This is word for word out of, out of Strong's uh, Bible Concordance. Dr. Strong wrote these words, and he said, that word abundantly in the Greek means superabundant in quality or superior in quality, excuse me, superabundant in quantity or superior in quality by implication excessive. God wants you to have too much life. Too much joy, too much peace, too much safety, too much security, too much happiness, too much of his grace, too much faith, too much anointing. What do you need in your life? Well, whatever it is, God has too much of it, and he wants you to have too much of it too. Amen. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the devil's plan for us is total annihilation. Total annihilation. Make no mistake about it. When you drill down into these Greek words, steal, kill, and destroy. And I, listen, I'm not going to do, I did the word study for you so that we didn't do it because I got a lot more things to say, so I can't take too much time here. But when you drill down into those Greek words, steal, kill, and destroy, you find out that the enemy wants nothing more than to absolutely liquidate and eradicate you and I. I find it funny that that word liquidate was used. It's kind of like one of those, you know... Uh, you know, Ed's bargain basement uh, commercials. You know what I mean? Everything must go. Liquidation sale. Yeah. Sale, 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 sale. Listen, it's like the devil, his plan for your life and his plan for my life is that he wants to slap a sign on the back of you that says everything must go. He wants to annihilate and liquidate and liquefy you and so that no traces of you remain in the universe. He does not have good plans for you. But... Jesus said, I came so that what I would do would be effective enough to nullify everything the devil wants to do in your life. What if life in this world, in this community, what if life could look more like what Jesus intended for it to be? I want to ask that question because it directly correlates with our vision for 2020. What, what, what if life in this world, and specifically life in our community, what if it could look more like what Jesus intended for life to look like? The vision that the Lord gave to us, the vision for this church for this year, is in a single phrase that the Lord gave me during our Hope and Healing Conference last October. And that is a transformation of life, a transformation of life. I was, um, it was, I think it was the Friday evening, or maybe it was Saturday evening. Uh, Aaron and Connie were standing right here. Aaron, Aaron and Connie Jones, who were here with us for our conference, they were standing here ministering, and I was standing over here, kind of close to that screen. And they were ministering. We had a wonderful flow of the Spirit of God. Everybody was getting blessed, and it was amazing. And, and I heard these words come up in my heart. I don't mean that I heard an audible voice. I didn't hear the, you know, the audible voice of God booming through the room. It was a knowing in my heart. How many of you have ever had God speak to you and you just know he's speaking? Amen. It's even sometimes hard to explain how you know. It's just that you know God's talking to you on the inside. That's how it was for me. I was standing right over here and I heard those words in my heart, a transformation of life. The vision that God's given us for our community and for our church this year is a transformation of life. Now, what does that mean? It means that life would begin to change not only in us, but around us. 
That's why I asked the question, uh, what, if, what, what would like life look like in our community if it was more like what Jesus had said life should be in John 10? Could life in our community look different because we're here? Think about that for just a second. Could life in our community look different because we're here? Huh? Let me pose it to you this way. If we closed up shop tomorrow, would anybody realize we were gone? Not as many amens on that one. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's still good though, right? If, if we closed up shop tomorrow, would anybody even know that we were missing? Or could it be that God has such a good plan for his people and he has such a good plan for us that life in our community, not just for us, but for the people around us, would actually begin to shift and get better and increase just because we're here. Just because the presence of God is living and abiding in us and because he's in us and because we're here, life actually improves for everybody. What do you think about that? I think that's a good idea, don't you? I'm going to tell you something. We are committed to seeing a transformation of life in the high country. Not just, watch this, watch this. Not just the transformation of a life or for multiple lives to change, but for life itself in our community to be transformed. One of the things that I noticed when I first started coming to the high country, which I thought about the other day and realized was November 10th, 2005. It was the first time that I came to the high country because it was the day before Sean and Gracie's wedding because I came here for Sean and Gracie's wedding where I met my wife, which I didn't know she was going to be my wife at that time. But this is the funniest thing because I think God honors our prayers. I think, he, I think he loves to give us the desires of our heart. And I, 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 We had driven me and, and my family and some others. We got in a van and we all came up through the night from Florida and it was about noon on November 5th, 2005. And we, um, I got out of the car. It was up in Blowing Rock. It was a nice day. And it was, the sun was shining, and of course, I had just driven for 12 hours, so everybody's kind of crusty, you know. And, and I got out, and I took a big, deep breath of mountain air, and I looked up at the sky, and I said, Lord, if you love me at all, please let me live here. <laughs> no joke. I mean, hand to God. I, I asked God that day, Lord, if you love me, please let me live here. Now, little did I know the next day I was going to meet my wife, and the next, you know, and then all these things would happen. But Ever since that time when I first started coming to the high country, I've noticed the condition of people. And I don't mean this to be a cut down or a detriment to our community because I absolutely love our community. In fact, I love our community so much that you couldn't pay me a billion dollars to live anywhere else because I love this place. But I remember when Brianne and I were first dating and when we first got married, we still lived in Florida and we would come up here and we would, you know, we would just come for vacation and we would go to football games and we would hang out with her family and her family's friends and her friends from high school and we'd see a lot of people. And, and I remember distinctly recognizing and seeing that, that, that there was this, uh, something unique that I'd not seen in other places that I'd been to. And that was this sort of veneer of, you know, everything's good, but under the surface, everything's not good. And I, I became distinctly aware of it, and I remember I, I asked the Lord, and he said, this, Josh, this is the effects of what religion does to people. 
religion, you know, causes people to put up this exterior and this facade that says everything's great, but behind the surface, if you, if you pull the veneer back, the wood underneath's getting rotten. It's infected. There's a wound that needs to be healed. And I started to observe this. And I don't know if I saw it because it was part of what I was going to be called to do or if it was just something that I picked up on. I don't know. It might be perhaps related to the fact that we're here, you know, having planted this church. But I remember seeing that condition of life and I thought, Lord, this isn't good enough, especially not for people who, who say they love you, especially not for people who, who, you know, raise the name of Jesus as a banner and we say we love Jesus. Well, then if we love Jesus, we can't put up with the devil's plan for our life that we saw in John 10, right? We need, to, we need to strive for what God has created. What Jesus had said would be our promise is life more abundantly. So I believe that our calling for this year and, and on into the coming years is to see life itself be transformed. Amen? I believe that the world around us, even the people who aren't saved, I believe that for them, life can increase just because we're here. Now, there's a story in the, New, in the Old Testament, and, and, and we're going to pick this up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is the second verse I asked you to turn to, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because I think the New Living just does such a great job here. But we're going to read starting in verse 3. This story, before we read, this story marks one of the most interesting examples of this transformation of life that I know in Scripture. Now, before we read, I want to give you a real quick backstory of what's going on. You remember King David, David and Goliath, David. He's king over Israel. He's been king now for some time. And Israel's at war with the group of people, the other nation called the Philistines. You're familiar with the Philistines? David had a pretty substantial beef with the Philistines. It started when he killed Goliath, their favorite person. Goliath was the superstar. And, he, and Goliath came from a city called Gath. And he was from the land of the Philistines. And he was their superstar, you know, fighter. And David just killed him and made a mockery of him. And they chased the Philistines down. And Israel won a great battle that day. So that day started a beef between David and the Philistines. Now they've been at war for some time. And the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant from the nation of Israel. Now you know what the Ark of the Covenant is, right? It's that golden box. If you ever saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, or no, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you'll know that it's a golden box with two angels on top. And uh, the Bible teaches us that that was a symbol of the presence of God in the nation of Israel. So the Philistines have stolen this away from Israel. So David goes on a quest to get it back. And he beats up the Philistines in two different cities. The Bible says that, uh, that, that the Lord vanquished the enemy. David said, the Lord has destroyed my enemies like water breaking through. And so they get the Ark of the Covenant back, and the, the whole nation's rejoicing. And this is where we pick up the story. Are you ready? 2 Samuel 6, chapter 3. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart. Aren't you glad your dad didn't name you Uzzah? 
Verse 4, they were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God, and Ahia walked out in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Sounds like all the who's down in Whoville. Verse 6, but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, watch this, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. But then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of the Lord. Now, before we go any farther, you say, that seems kind of harsh. Well, it was harsh because Jesus hadn't come yet. The penalty for sin hadn't been paid, and nobody was allowed to touch the ark of God. You couldn't do it. Because if you touch the ark of God, God's perfect glory would strike you down because you were imperfect and he was perfect and one of those two's got to give. So that's why Uzzah died. So watch what happens. This causes a bunch of confusion. Verse 8. David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. And he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah. And it's still called this today. Verse 9, now David was afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it into the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Now, I want you to just look at that verse 10 for one second. Instead of taking the ark back to Jerusalem... He took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Who in the world is Obed-Edom? He's just some guy who was from the same village as Goliath. He's a bad guy. But David, because he's afraid of anybody else dying by accidentally touching the ark of the Lord, leaves the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. Verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Wow. Watch, watch verse 12. Watch this. This is amazing. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. Do you see that? Now, this is, this is a wild, wild, wild story. And, and it doesn't, maybe it doesn't sound all that unusual or impressive if we don't realize two key things. Number one, which I already alluded to a little bit, the ark of the Lord contained the presence and the glory of God himself. The ark of the Lord distinguished Israel from every other nation on the earth, and the presence of God is what signified that Israel was God's chosen people. God's covenant was made with Israel, and this box, this golden box called the ark, was a symbol of that covenant. It contained, it possessed the very presence of God himself. That's the first thing we got to understand in order for this this passage to be amazing to us. The second thing is this. Obed-Edom is from the city of Gath. He's not an Israelite. 
In fact, he's a Philistine. He's from the same city that Goliath was from. He a bad guy. He's a bad guy. What does that mean? That means that Obed-Edom's not supposed to be blessed. Think about it for a second. Put yourself in that time frame. Put yourself in this situation for a moment. Obed-Edom's not supposed to be blessed. He's not a Jew. He's not part of the nation of Israel. He's not supposed to have God's presence in his house. But because David was afraid to move the ark into the city of David, he said, let's put it in Obed's house for three months. David, is that a good idea? Hey, what's the worst can happen? He tries to move it and he touches it and dies just like Uzzah. One less bad guy. Right? But, but much to the surprise of David and to the surprise of everybody else in the kingdom, what happens at Obed-Edom's house for that three months that the ark is present? Obed-Edom's house begins to be blessed. Look what it says in verse 12. The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything that he has. Why? Because the ark of God. Because the ark of God and the presence of God was in the ark and that was in Obed-Edom's house, life around the ark began to transform and everyone who was close by began to be affected by it. I've got news for you folks. I don't know if you've thought about this. God doesn't live in a box anymore. God doesn't live in a golden ark anymore. The book of Hebrews tells us that he lives in a tabernacle which is made without hands. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and quickens and gives life to my mortal body. Paul says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, that the God of heaven and earth takes up residence in you? There is no golden box anymore. There's a Brianne. There's a Sean. There's a Joy. There's a Tim. There's a Danny. There's a Kathy. There's a Robin. There's a Gary. There's another Robin. There's a Willie. There's people that are filled with the presence of God. And wherever they go, life for everything around them ought to change. Life for everybody in their vicinity ought to get better. The Lord blessed the Philistines' house because the ark was there. Your work ought to be better just because you're there. Your boss ought to be so happy that he hired you because his business is doing so much better now because you're there. <laughs> Glory to God. Life in Watauga County ought to look different because we're here. I asked you the question before, if we shut down tomorrow, would anybody realize it? Would, would the newspaper run a story say, oh, no. High Country Christian Church closed. What are we going to do now? There goes our blessing. Goes our blessing. <laughs> because God is in us and because we are here, life in, high, in the high country is supposed to look different. The super abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10, that super abundant life is going to change the world around us. In fact, it's going to change life on every level in our community. Now, I could tell you so many stories of how that's happened, not just in our church, but in other places. My sister goes to a church out in California 
that is an amazing church. They've been there for 30 years. They, they have seen their community, their town change over the last two decades just because they're there. And you know what? They have a vision for that to happen. When the Lord gave me that word, transformation of life, I knew right away what he meant. It's not just a transformation of a person's life. That's good. We want that. It's not just transformation of a few people's lives. We want that. But it's, can life itself look different just because we're here? Amen. Now, let me ask you an important question. How does this play out in our church? I've got about 15 minutes left, and I want to I drill down for a moment into some specifics about how this concept plays out in our church. Before I do that, or as I do that, it's important for you to note that our purpose hasn't changed. That though God's given us some new direction and we're hearing things we hadn't heard before, our purpose hasn't changed. God's giving us a fresh perspective on our vision so that we can be more effective. God's giving us a fresh perspective on our vision so that we can be more effective. We haven't changed the message. We haven't changed the purpose. We haven't changed who we are. We're the same church, but we got some fresh vision. Doesn't that excite you? There's, see, there's comfort in knowing we're not, I'm not trying to rock the boat here this morning. We're just, we've just got some new things to say. God's given us new ways to say the things that have been in our hearts for years. God's been giving Brienne and I new ways even to talk about the vision. How many of you know that words are important? What we say is important, amen? God's been giving Brianna and I new ways to talk about the vision and new methods to achieve it. This year, we're focusing on systems and structure. How are we going to see a transformation of life? Well, you know, Einstein, Einstein once said that the definition of insanity is doing the same things the same way and expecting different results. Right? Now, he wasn't a Bible scholar that I know of, but he was pretty smart. And that's really true. If you do the same things the exact same way, you're not going to get any different results, right? So the Lord's been challenging for us to change things about the way, that we, the way that we do things. So how does this vision play out in our church? It shows up in four distinct ways. Number one, know Jesus. Number two, get connected. Number three, discover your purpose. And number four, make an impact. Those are the four tenets of our vision. Again, I as I told you just a moment ago, the Lord's been giving Brianne and I new ways to say this stuff. And this is one of the new ways that we're saying and talking about what the vision looks like. Be prepared to see these words come up over and over and over and over again. That we would know Jesus. That we would get connected. That we would discover our purpose and that we would make an impact. Now I'm going to share with you, as we start to land the plane, as we start to wind down, I want to share with you what those four things mean. And then I'm, I'm going to take Sundays in February to drill down into each one of these. Uh, the, the vision, this vision is so significant in my heart, I can't possibly get it all out in one, in one message. But as we go forward from today, these four components of our vision, know Jesus, get connected, discover our purpose, and make an impact, these four things are going to shape life at High Country Christian Church, and they're going to help us to be effective in seeing a transformation of life 
in our city. Why these four points? Why these things specifically? It's because they introduce to us a systematic approach to church life, and that causes us to be more effective. So, practically speaking, let me break them down for you. Is this, are y'all with me? Yeah. All right, good. Number one, know Jesus. This relates to our services on Sunday morning. We'll see some subtle additions to Sundays, causing them to be more evangelistic in nature. We want to give people an opportunity to meet Jesus. We're going to grow exponentially in 2020 because we are going to intentionally, on Sundays, make sure that people have an opportunity to know Jesus. So every time you see this, this, this idea, this phrase, know Jesus, it's, know that it's connected to Sunday mornings. Sunday morning is going to be a place where your family and your friends and your coworkers and the people, the guy that you see at the coffee shop every day that makes your latte just the way you like it, he knows you and you know him. Does he know Jesus? Kind of quiet on that one. <laughs> Let me, let's back up. Does he even know you're a Christian? Right? We Listen, one of the things, I, you know, I don't want to take too much time and camp on this. The, the, the community, the church that I was raised in, the church that Sean was raised in, we were really, 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 really good at having great Holy Ghost services. We were really good at having powerful, dynamic times of the presence of God. And I think it shows in what we do here as a church. We have great worship. We have great personal ministry. We lay hands on the sick, and they recover. It's amazing. But you know what we were not good at in our church growing up? We weren't good at soul winning. We were not very good at helping people come to know Jesus. And last time I checked, that's the Great Commission. That's, what, that's the last thing Jesus said before he left this earth is, you know what? Go out there and tell everybody about me. So when you see this phrase, know Jesus, you got to know and you got to understand that's connected to Sunday mornings. We are not going to go one single Sunday this year without giving people a chance to know Jesus. Amen? Now, number two, get connected. This relates to our small groups. Small groups are an intentional place of connection. This is where relationship and discipleship happens. Small groups are going to grow exponentially in 2020. I've talked to a number of people that say it's their favorite part of our church. is small groups. Now, we do small groups, but we're getting ready to do them more effectively. And we're, listen, we'll call on some of you to lead them. Amen. Don't get scared. Amen. Amen. I talked to a really good friend of mine, and he's a pastor down in Georgia, and he said, you know, he said small groups are where people take their masks off. It's where life gets really real. It's where, it's where people start to get connected with each other as they're getting connected with Jesus. You see, we have a twofold connection that we need to pursue in our life, and that's connection to Jesus and connection to the people around us. Nobody's an island. The minute you isolate yourself from everybody is the minute things really start to go wrong in your life. It creates problems for you. And we don't want to see that. So we're going to, every time you see this phrase, get connected, know that it means it has something to do with small groups. Now the third one is discover your purpose. It's one of my favorites. This relates to next steps. We've been talking about next steps for the last couple months. It's, it's about on us. It's going to be here next Sunday. 
Next steps are about you, not us. It's an opportunity to serve you as a church. We want to serve you by helping you discover how God's gifted you. And all of those three things are amazing. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to get connected. And we want you to discover your purpose. All three of those are about you. Number four, not about you. You know who number four is about? Everybody else. Because once you know Jesus... Once you get connected to him and you get connected to a family of believers that are here for you, once that happens, you start to discover what your purpose is. You go through next steps and you find out, hey, God made me to do this, this, and this. Now what are you doing? Now you're prepared. Now you're ready to start making an impact in the world around you. Making an impact has to do with going beyond yourself. This relates to our volunteer teams, which we're now calling legacy teams. Isn't that awesome? We don't want volunteers. We want partners. We want legacy team members. We want people that are interested in leaving an impact and a mark. I don't know about you, but being a dad of three girls, I constantly think about legacy. I'm going to say just about every single day of my life. I think about legacy. I ask myself the question, are the decisions that I'm making right now going to cause my kids to be proud of me or not proud of me after I'm gone? All I want in my life is for my kids to be able to say, oh, daddy, when he was here, he was such a good daddy. These are the things that he did that set us up for success. That's what I want, so my heart wants. And so that's why our volunteers are not just volunteers. They're they're partners in the mission of what God is doing through our church. We're here to make an impact, man. We're here to make a difference. My dad used to tell me, well, still does say this from time to time. He said, God never called you to make a living. He called you to make an impact. He didn't call you to make a living, just come here and work nine to five for the rest of your life so that you can have a nice retirement plan. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not your purpose in life. That's a supplement to your purpose. Your purpose, your calling is to see the transformation of life happened in the community where you live. We believe that our lives are fulfilled not just by what we receive, but by what we give and how we serve. So every time you see that statement make an impact, it's related to our legacy teams. We want you to be legacy team members. We want you to make an impact in the church and in the community. Now, in closing, as I said, I'll be taking taking Sundays in the month of February to drill down into each of these vision points. I know that today's Vision Sunday, but it's really just the beginning of Vision Month. Okay? And what I want to do this February is take time, take one Sunday with each one of those points and drill down into them to provide clarity and practical direction for each of those four things, okay? So next week, you already know what I'm going to talk about. We're going to be talking about knowing Jesus. We're going to be talking about Sunday mornings being a place where evangelism happens. And it's going to empower you, and I hope implant in you and download in you a seed of desire that wants to start bringing your friends and wants to start bringing those who are far from Jesus. Because, guys, we live in a hurting world. We live in a hurting world. We're the ark, and we're in the middle of Obed-Edom's house. And it doesn't look good around us, and that's why we're here. I'm going to ask Brianne to come up here. Finally, as we close, you need to know 
that Brienne and I are committed to you, that we're committed to your success. Make sure that turned on, will you? Yeah. We're here for you. It, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to just stand up here and talk about vision and, and give a nice presentation, but we want this to go beyond a presentation. We want you to, to know we're standing up here. We're people. We're people just like you. And we love you and we are committed to you and we're committed to your success. We're committed to the plan of God in your life. And that means we're here for you. The Bible teaches that the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That means that you can trust us. That means that if you need to talk to us, you can talk to us. And you can know that that conversation never goes past us. You can trust us. We tell people we're a cul-de-sac. Just, just goes in and it doesn't leave. Okay, when you have a conversation, we talk in private and things like that. You just know, you, we, we need you to know you can trust us. Yeah. We're here for you. We want you to know that we're approachable. Why don't yeah. you talk about that? Yeah, we just um, are opening ourselves up and just uh, once again saying, hey, we're here for you. You know, like, don't be afraid to come talk to us. Yes. We will not judge you. We've dealt with plenty of issues. If we want to air out our dirty laundry, like, it's okay. Like, please come to us and talk to us. Yeah, because that is the role of a pastor. That's right. Is to guide the sheep and to be there. We're a buffer between you and the Lord, you know, even as a local church. God set it up this way. Yeah. So please know that we're approachable. We are not scary. We do not judge you. Um, (laughs) We love you very much. That's right. And, um, yeah, for us it is personal um, because relationships are personal, you know, and so Mm -hmm. I think that's good. We're going to keep it personal, and we're not going to keep it political or keep it whatever else the opposite of personal is. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so just know that. Um, We do take it to heart, and we trust, we appreciate you opening up to us. Um, And then, yeah, we're not going to get it right every time. Yeah, we're not going to get it right the first time. That's okay. As we roll out these points of vision, we'll stumble along the way, and we'll figure out how things work. But in the midst of all of it, you, you just need to know that we... We make a covenant with you as your pastors yeah. to be here for you and to stand with you and to stand in the gap. And, right. and, and when life gets hairy and scary, you got somebody you can call. Yes. And if you listen, if you've ever felt like overlooked or forgotten, that's not our heart for you. Yeah. We, we, that's not our heart for you. We want you to know if, if you're feeling bad about something or if, or if the church has done anything ever to hurt you or you're feeling overlooked, come talk to us because we want to make it right because we're here for you. And we believe in you. And we're committed to your success. Listen, if we weren't, we'd still be living in Florida. Okay? <laughs> if, we, if we weren't committed to you, we'd still be living in Florida. Maybe you would. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Just kidding. Just Whoa. Kidding. Whoa. God knows. Now He's you see cool. why I married her. <laughs> no. Amen. Yeah. No, we just, we just want you to know that you know, we couldn't possibly talk about vision without talking about the fact that we want you to know that we're here for you. It, it, it's, it's, it's very important in the life of a church that, that people know that their pastors are praying for them. We yeah. pray for you. We think about you. And, and as Brianne said, it is personal. It's very personal. Um, 
because we believe that's the way God designed it to be. Yeah. The church is an organism. It's not a corporation. Right. It's, yeah. it's not a Fortune 500 company. Amen. We're not, we're not hiding behind three layers of, of doors that you can't get through. We're here for you. Yeah. We want you to know that. Amen. Well, I'll you, do one more shameless plug. Yeah, um, go ahead. Just pray for Josh. Yes. Always, always, yeah. every day. Pray mm-hmm. for your pastor mm-hmm. and me. Just that the Lord would continue to speak to him, that he will yeah. clearly hear his voice. Yes. That the plans of the enemy come to nothing. Yes. Every day. Yeah, amen. We need to pray that because you are, oh, we're so thankful. Amen. So thankful. Yeah. And Josh has worked really hard yeah, and really amen. devoted time. Yes. Um, so thank you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up to our feet this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.